Yo, check us out. Chuck D, a public enemy. Yo, what's up? This is DJ Yellow from the world's most dangerous group. What's up? This is DLC, the Diggy Diggy motherfucking doc. Yo, 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 what's up? This your boy, Z-Man. What up, dog? This is E-Shot. This is Jerry Helling, motherfucker. This your boy, DJ Paul, KOL for 36 Young Busy Ball. Vice World. This your man, Matt Mine, the Hell Razor. Yo, this is DJ Ready Red. What up, what up, what up? This is the real Rick Ross, and you're listening to me on the Murder Master Music Show. It is not as serious that it would never hit me, and then it, it 
It worked its way into my household and my daughter, and we was pretty sick. But, man, it's been like two weeks now with no nausea, no nausea, no choking no more. I'm, I'm feeling good now. Thank God, thank God. We had uh, the homie Uncle Beats uh, from Chicago on the other day. He was in a coma for seven days with it. Um, so, that, yeah, man, it's it's taken a lot of people out, man. Thank God you guys made it through. Um, yeah. Man, so are people are still walking around without masks uh, in your area? Or are they starting to take it serious, or what's the deal down there? That was a big problem. Nobody really took it serious because it affected different people different ways, different immune systems. Some people got it and never even felt the thing, you know, and other people got it. And, you know, and and you see a lot of people who wanted to rebel. And in the beginning, I'm I'm guilty of it, too. I was like, man, I'm not wearing no mask, you know. But then in the end, it started getting serious. And then we lost Ed West. You know what I mean? It was like... Then it, it really started sinking in how serious it was. You know? Yeah, yeah, it really. You know, when I saw um, Scarface had lost both of his kidneys, I thought, "Oh shit, this is something really, really serious." You know, mm-hmm. um, and like you said, I was the victim of it, man. That's the you ain't no lie because I think uh, this shit was was perpetrated. For whatever, all I know is some some people made billions and billions of dollars off of this shit, you know, um, yeah. selling stocks and whatever and PPE and all the the stuff that goes along with it. So there's a lot of people getting paid off the suffering and pain of others, and that's fucked up. Yeah, it's real sorry for their soul because when you have a, a a soul like that, if you have to walk around with that on your conscience, knowing all those people died, I mean. It's hard to enjoy. How do you sleep at night? And yeah. I've been known as a gangster rapper all my life. I've been known as a gangster all my life, but I never tried to feed off of somebody else's sorrow or misery. You know what I mean? And I feel sorry for those people who got rich. You know what I mean? Because one day they're gonna have to think, answer to a higher power. That's all I they're can gonna say. have to uh, pay for that eventually. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. Karma. Um, but you, man, you uh, you come from an uh, area very, very rich in, um, you know what I'm saying, hip-hop history. New Orleans uh, not only has been on the map for many years, but it also has its own sound, actually many sounds. Uh, man, tell us about your history. When, when did you get involved in uh, hip-hop? I'm going to tell you, um, you're right, New Orleans my city is rich in, in musical history from jazz and rhythm and blues and, you know, dance steps and everything. And, um, I think my earliest, my earliest experience when wanting to be in the music scene, I was born in the seventies. So I grew up, I hit puberty probably in the eighties and I had an older brother. He was a DJ. And back then, that was the house party era. And my my big brother was a DJ. He always went around with two crates of records and two turntables and a mixer, going from house party to house party when, um, you know, DJing, making a little money. And he used to call himself MCLV. 
And um, what happened was it got to the point where I got a little bit older, around 12, 13, when my brother wanted to do a party. My dad used to tell him, yeah, you can go to the party if you bring your brother. <laughs> and that's how I was introduced to it. I was at house parties, like, 11 years old, 12 years old, 13 years old, and I seen my brother DJing, and I seen how the people reacted to it, and I automatically just was attracted to the whole thing, seeing my brother DJing and stuff and listening to the lyrics, and I was exposed to it at that age, at 12. And by the time I was 13, I just started wanting to be that guy. If my brother is going to be the DJ, then I'm going to be the MC, you know. And he was MCLV. Well, I was MCL. And from there, it, it, it took off. My big brother really inspired me to get into it at a young age. It's only right that you, uh, you know what I'm saying, kind of following his footsteps with it. You know, but you, you gravitated towards the the, the the lyrical side of it. You know, um, man, when did you first get, like, your first, like, uh, you know, shot as far as, you know what I'm saying, getting in the studio and, 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 you know, putting it down? It happened when I was um, 17 years old. I um, met DJ Rowland friend of mine, my boy David Kaiser, because at that time I was just running around wild, but when I was 17 years old, 1990, 91, I met Roland. He was a DJ and he was doing music. He had been already working with the Ghetto Boys, but he was from New Orleans. And somebody somebody said, you got to meet Roland, you got to meet Roland. They brought me to his house and Roland had you know, the whole DJ setup and keyboards. It was like the, the basement studio. And, um, he brought me to the Ghetto Boys, Scarface, Bushwick, Willie D. I remember him telling me that, um, I'm going to bring you there. They're going to love you. And I didn't believe it at first. I didn't believe it until I got all the way there and Scarface and Willie D walked in the room that I believed that he really did it. And that's when I knew that was my shot. And I started going in the studio writing songs for Bushwick because they loved my music as soon as they heard me. Like, that's one thing. Anybody heard me rap, it was like, oh, yeah. And they brought me to them, and I started writing for Bushwick Bill. That was my first time going in the studio. For real. Wow. Wow, now Roland, I'm looking at the back of this uh, classic Scarface, uh, Mr. Scarface's back CD, and he's mentioned right on the back as one of the producers with, uh, you know, with Face, Beto, Crazy C, Roland. Um, yeah. So that guy uh, you're talking about for those listening, that's that's huge, man. Now they, uh, now Jay Prince, did he want to sign you as an artist, or did he just want to? Um, you know what I'm saying, have you uh, as a ghostwriter for Bill? No, immediately he wanted to sign me as an artist. He, he even tried to do it, the, like, the first week I met him, he gave me a contract. He was like, definitely. And this was at the time when Willie D was leaving the Ghetto Boys. Yeah. And, um, and he was looking for somebody to fill the slot. And when he heard me, he immediately wanted to sign me. But 
he used to do his projects, Jay Prince, you know, one project at a time. And the project that he was working on when I got there was Bushwick Bill, Little Big Man. So yeah. he, 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 he was trying to do that project first. So he was looking for songs for that. And Bushwick Bill, you know, as good as he was, that was my boy, rest in peace. I love Bushwick Bill, but he never really wrote his own rhymes, you know. And the rest of rap a lot wrote it. So I wrote like three songs for him. In the meantime, Jay, Jay Prince gave me the contract and told me to go look it over with my lawyer and then come back to him. So, yeah, they wanted to sign me immediately, but I never signed the contract well. Which, um, uh, did you write any songs on this uh, uh, Little Big Man album? Or? Yeah, I wrote um, two. I wrote three songs for them. Two of them they actually used. One of them was Cop of the Cash, and oh, yeah. that's on a Little Big Man album. And the other one was Take Them Off. And Take Them Off, I told them I'll sell them that one only if they let me perform it with them. So I'm on that song with Bushwick Bill. Here lists, you're on that song, not to cut you off, but it lists you as MCL Rahim. Is that you? Or was no, it, uh, MCL. When they say MCL and Rahim, it, it, that's what they meant to put an in between MCL and Rahim because Rahim yeah. was another writer. He was another rapper on Rap a Lot. That was the Ghetto Boy. He was an original. Okay, yeah, they didn't put a comma after. But yeah, you're right in the credits, man. You know what I'm saying? Oh, yeah. Um, I'm on the song. I'm on the song with him. Number 10 on that album, Bushwick Bill, Take Him Off, is the name of the song, Take Him Off. Yeah, I I definitely remember that. That's one of my favorite fucking albums, man, because, you know, uh, when that Ever, Ever So Clear came out, I would see it on the box. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. They, they didn't show it on. They didn't really show it on MTV, or you know, I guess they thought it was too violent or whatever. But uh, man, that's a trip. I never knew you were on that album, man. Uh, what, what was yeah. that like? I'm on, you go on tour with Bill. Huh? Did you go on tour with Bill? With who? I'm sorry. With Bushwick for that album. What about it? Did you go on tour with him, like do any shows? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. I, I went on tour with not only Bushwick. I, I used to go on stage with Scarface. Um, when me and Scarface became friends after um, writing the Bushwick thing, and me and Willie D on his solo project, even though he left rap a lot. I went on tour with them. We went all over the southern, eastern hemisphere, like everywhere between Dallas, to Florida, I went on tour with him, and we was about to go work our way up north to the East Coast and across the Midwest and the West. But somewhere in between, I I I, I didn't like the vibe I was getting with rap a lot records. You know what I mean? And um, the way I, it was a lot of stuff going on where all this wasn't happy, and so I I broke off in the middle of the tour. I went on tour with him for a while, but. I wasn't feeling the vibe. Like I just felt like artists was being, I don't know. They wasn't getting it just do. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. Uh, well, you hear that a lot. I know um, if you look at the uh, Mr. Scarface album cover that got Ready Red's face blacked out, 
but you can't see them. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, so, yeah, it, man. It, it was a hard time in hip-hop. It was the South, the first time the South had a, a group, like Ghetto Boys and Rapping Our Records was up and coming, but they was also learning they way as they go, you know what I mean? And 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 it was just, I've seen a lot of artists starving, you know what I mean? A lot of, the rap a lot might have had about 15 artists at that time, but all you heard about was the ghetto boy, Garfield Bush with them with the D. You know, other rappers did okay, but Jay Prince's focus was his money-making, and that was ghetto boys. And if he wasn't ghetto boys, he was just basically sitting around Another rapper at that time, you know, they had a lot of dudes. I wasn't the only one that was talented like that. They had dudes like Gangsta Nip who wrote Chucky. You know what I mean? That never was known. But he made the, one of the hottest songs in the country. And I seen him and he was starving broke. And I'm like, I'm not doing that. I left Texas and went back home. You know? In the world. Yeah, that, that's a shame to see uh, any artist have to go uh, uh, through that when they uh, help contribute to the success. I just made a post about that. I was asking uh, our listeners if they thought that, you know, a, a lot of these big media outlets, do they ever turn down artists because they're afraid of um, hurting their business affiliations with other artists and CEOs that want to keep them out of history? You know, and I believe that yeah, probably happens a lot. Yeah, it happens yeah, all they, the time, unfortunately. A lot of black, a lot of blackballing going on. Like I said, Scarface was Jay Prince's moneymaker. He was the breadwinner. Scarface is one of the best rappers that ever lived, and I, I, I was in awe of him. You know what I mean? And every other rapper at that. In that era was in all Scarface. Scarface had the game on lock. And Jay Prince, he was just a businessman doing what businessmen do. You know what I mean? I'm not going to invest all this money into you until you prove that you can make money for me. And that's how it was. And unless you proved yourself capable of making the kind of impact on the country or, or the music business that Scarface did, you was just another rapper. You know what I mean? And as much as Jay Prince loved my lyrics, until I started making money for him, it wasn't happening. And I watched a lot of artists. I'm talking about some of the best rappers, dude. I'm talking about I came up in the battle rap era, and I watched a lot of those dudes just just crumble and fall because either Scarface was the was the premiere and they put you on the back burner after you signed with with um rap a lot or else other major labels was paying radio stations to not play you and play them. This was the early nineties, like you know what I mean? If you had money then you can make your way into the business. You can make your way in the full rotation. They didn't they didn't care how good you was. They just they was just trying to basically corner the market and um a lot of good 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 rappers never made it because of that bro i i was just i was one of them i never really made it because i had 
Cash Money and No Limit and Rap a lot and people who was making radio stations, paying them just to play them. You know what I'm saying? So yeah, I got black ball too. You know. So uh, that's a shame, man. It's a shame that happened. Um, we we seen it, you know, a lot. You know, just like uh, Fresh Kid Ice, um, that dude created, you know, helped create Miami Bass and the, that, that whole Southeast movement. You know what I'm saying? And, and uh, yeah. a lot of he's left out of history too. Um, I don't know why that it's like that, but uh, man, that's fucked. I tell you what, let's go to a let's go to a song, MCL. I got this one uh, here. I believe it's called Still. Um, why don't you tell us about this one? What's the name of it? Which one? I think it's called uh, uh, Still. That might let me bring Sin on. He might know. Sin, is this is this just the Still track? Which one is this? Hi, hi, um, MCL. I, I think it's uh, I ordered a back of the hood. And some of all them, True to Life. Oh, yeah. Oh, True to Life? Oh, so keep, keep, life. Oh, keep stepping. Keep stepping, man. Keep stepping. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I made that one. That, I, I wrote that in 96. That was Keep Stepping 1997. Well, yeah. Yes, sir. So. Uh, we'll, we'll be right back. Don't go nowhere. We got uh, Legendary MCL right here at the Murder Master Music Show. Let him ask the music. Everybody with me. Throw up seven fingers. Holler hold head and let them in and linger. If people think you crazy and start to talk to shit, look it straight up in the eyes and tell them hold head bitch. Wake up in the morning, 40 on my side. Still doing that like it's 1985. Still gang banging, still down the ride. Still got my hustle, trying to survive. I link up with my niggas. The few I have left, cause a lot of them in jail and a lot was put to death. You would think that I would change, but no, I haven't yet. Seven ward, hard head, I'ma always rep. I reminisce on the days when I made the name. I started busting rhymes and it gave me fame. But the music was a reflection of the life that I was living. Thugging in the hood, I just put it to the rhythm. Making fast money, in and out of prison. Getting in the beat and going out to get them. My life is like a movie, and yes, it's all rated. And this is just a sequel, cause I'm still hard headed. So everybody with me, to a seven fingers. Holler hard head, and let the feeling linger. If people think you're crazy and they start to talk to shit, walk them straight up with me. I just tell them hard head. Come on, come on, everybody with me. Throw up seven fingers, holler hard head, and let the feeling linger. Generation, I'm a thing of the past, nigga thinking that, but nigga them in last, always with the last, I'ma get the cash, singing those slinging ice, sitting on my ass, taking another stand, yeah. taking another step, yeah. 20 years later, still in effect, yeah. seven fingers up, still got a rep, yeah. valley boy yeah. nigga, till my death, yeah. until I yeah. rest, it's how it is, yeah. where I'm from, you get it how you live, it's why you did, MCL, rated, MCL, still hard, hard so yeah. everybody yeah. with me, Hey, 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 hey,
it actually helped me though because it broadened my horizon. It, like I wasn't the average New Orleans rapper. Like most rappers from New Orleans did, was doing bounce music and club music, and the lyrical content was so limited. You know what I mean? That they were just stuck on one style of music. But me, I was like, nah. I was inspired by people like. N.W.A., Slick Rick, L.L. Cool J, the East Coast and the West Coast combined. I was, I was a mixture of all of them, and I wanted New Orleans to break through from just the party lyrics. And I'm actually the first one who started making real lyrics in New Orleans. Nobody else wasn't really talking about nothing but partying and dancing when I came out. I was I was more inspired by people like Scarface, Ice Cube, you know what I mean? Yeah, yeah, Tupac. like uh, conscious and and street. Um, w- when you came out, juvenile, he was doing like a uh, straight bounce, wasn't he? There's two. Di- there's two different juveniles, so you got to know there was um, juvenile. There was the bounce rapper. And then they had Juvenile, now who signed with Cash Money Records. Juvenile, the Juvenile who was with Cash Money Records was a real rapper. The other Juvenile, they used to call him Rootless Juvenile. And all he did was like bounce, bounce, bounce. You know, you heard, I don't know if y'all are familiar with bounce music, but New Orleans was famous for that too. Like jazz, yeah. we, we was on. Uh, UNLV and had the game bounce. All it, all it really was was a dude who couldn't rap but loved the music and grabbed the microphone and started saying stuff stuff to make the girls dance. That was Rootless Juvenile. But the real Juvenile, he came after me, and he came with real lyrics like I did. You know what I mean? Juvenile. That's I'm talking about, girl, you look good when you back that ass up. So he was a little bounce, but at the same time, he had lyrical Content. His music has substance. You know what I'm saying? Yeah, absolutely. You know that that whole well, era was, though was uh, the golden era of hip hop, man. That '90s. You know. Oh yeah. Oh, it was a beautiful time to be in New Orleans too. You know, and and me and Mystical was the first two. We was together in the studio at the same time, recording together. Me and Mystical, like. I'm coming in the studio. He's leaving out. I'm I'm oh, I'm leaving out, and he coming in. At that era, that's when I came out in 1994. And so that was uh, you were right there. Was that Big Boy in them? Yeah, they had Big Boy Records. They had um, us Hardhead Records, and they had Cash Money Records, and a, wow. a bunch of local. Local record rec, rec companies. Nobody was nationwide yet, though. There's a lot of talent. Um, you know what I'm saying? All those labels. Uh, what was it like to? Uh, I mean, like when you see, did you ever like run into like BG when he was a little kid, or or Wayne or any of them yeah. when they were like real young? Yeah, I signed with Cash Money Records before the Hot Boys was even discovered. Lil Wayne used to be, Baby used to have Lil Wayne around him. Lil Wayne must have been around 10 years old, running around the studio when we was already 
you know, recording whole albums and yeah, the talent, the man, these guys was it was a lot of those guys didn't make it. I mean, in the streets they ended up dying off or going to jail, but yeah, it was a lot of, the competition was thick. But I ain't never meet nobody I couldn't handle on the microphone. That was the battle rap era. You know, we used to battle every day. I used to battle every day. So. You had to really be good at that time. Oh, yeah. You had to be very good or else they would laugh you off the stage. You know what I mean? Oh. Did you, uh, when you were at rap a lot, did you battle any of the guys over there? I battled each and every one of them, each and every one. Like I say, he must have had about 15 artists at the time, and we all used to meet up at Beetle One House. And um, I battled everybody up to Scarface. I think Scarface is the only one who beat me in a battle. Everybody else on the label, I pretty much toasted them. You know what I mean? But Scarface was just unbeatable. <laughs> he was just like... Take my hat off like I can't beat Scarface. <laughs> At that time, Scarface was the king of rap. Yeah. So, he is... Uh, I battled, I battled every single one of them. <laughs> well, Nip, Nip was a good battle, uh, battle MC. Him and uh, K. Reno used to have those legendary battles. Did you get a chance to battle him? Yes, no. Yeah. Yeah, man. Me and Gangster Nip battled one night all night long. <laughs> the only thing about with Gangster Nip, he was more of a comedian rapper than a reality rapper. Like, he wrote Chucky and all that. Chucky Part 1 and Chucky Part 2 for Bushwick. And, um, like he, he was mostly joking, bro. You know what I mean? Like, just saying shit to make you laugh. And I was more of a reality rapper, so... I kind of won on the strength of the fact that he was talking about shit to make you laugh, but I was I was spitting the real shit. You know what I mean? I was talking about life, you know, in the ghetto, in the hood, growing up, gangster shit, you know, shit that I lived through. So, yeah, gangster nip was whoo. He's a hard one to battle, dog. You know? Well, uh, and uh, you know, I'm surprised too because. His, al- his albums are always like he'll always throw conscious stuff in there too, like he'll have like um like a psychotic genius, you know he'll have uh, um you know Uncle Sam or you know what I'm saying yeah. or he'll have the crooked cop song Slaughter, man he did a song yeah. just recently you gotta fucking hear it, it's called You Leave Us No Choice, where man he goes in on the cops you know for for killing you know people and yeah. stuff, and uh. Man, it's 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 fucking brutal. It's that nip. man. The first the first night I met Gangsta Nip, we were sitting in Beetle One House. Beetle One, you know, he was the main, the number one producer for rap a lot. He made the the music to um Scarface. You know, all I have in this world, all I have in this world, Scar, Scar. Yeah, he Beetle One. We was all at his house, and Gangsta Nip came in there. And man, when I tell you, Gangsta Nip wouldn't even rap unless you turned all the lights down low. It had to be dim. <laughs> and he had to have a sinister beat. And then he just go. And man, when he go, all you do is just sit there and just, oh 
my God, died laughing because he was like a comedian rapper, and it was he had a dark edge to it. Gangster Nip was an entity of his own, like you know what I mean. He could have almost started, started his, his own, own genre, genre. Man, that whole horrorcore. Yeah, he started his own genre. Yeah, because it, that's <laughs> how he was. And I have never seen nobody do what he did since, but it was dark and yeah. cynical. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, absolutely, absolutely. Yeah, well, uh, you know, New Orleans definitely, um, you know, it had its dark stuff too, like Mr. Ivan, 187 in a hockey mask. Um, oh, yeah. There was some uh, some brutal stuff there. Did you ever, um, you know what I'm saying, coming up, uh, want to get with No Limit at all or, or, or ever come across Master P when he came down there yeah. to Richmond? Yeah, it's funny. They all, they all, they with with Master P and No Limit. They both, I mean, Cash Money. I mean, they both wanted to find me. Like I signed with Cash Money. Like I said, now I left their their label and went on my own thing for other reasons. And then later, No Limit came out, and yeah, they 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 tried to get me on contract with him, but I was already on contract with my label. So it was a conflict and I was ready to go with them, you know, but cause they blew up big time, but they both cash money and no limit. I signed with cash money and it didn't work out and no limit came for me and I couldn't sign with them because I was already on contract. So, oh. yeah, well, you know, man, uh, I'm sure that would have been dope because uh you know there's a lot of a lot of talent on that label. Um the homie Sin uh I know he's got some questions for you. You know, uh Sin, you there, brother? Yes, yes, sir. Yes, sir. I'm going to I'm going to turn yeah. it over to you, man. I've asked enough questions, man. Thanks thanks for chopping up with me, MCL. <laughs> Real talk. No problem. No yeah. problem. Yeah. How how it was to to open Concept for Ice Cube. It was wild. Yeah, yeah. I opened up for Ice Cube. That was 1994. We was in Houston, and um, I had the opportunity to open up for him. That was that was a rough night because you know I it was my first time going on stage in front of a crowd that large and opening up for an icon like Ice Cube, you know, and it was, and I was a beginner, and nobody knew me, everybody came there to be Ice, see Ice Cube, and I was just the opening act, and um, I did well, though, you know, Jamie Foxx came on stage, brought me out, you know, he introduced me, and brought me out, and I, and I performed, and then when I got off stage, Ice Cube got on stage, and the whole crowd went crazy. <laughs> like, I was like, you know what I mean? I, I realized how small I was in the game and, and inspired me to do better watching the way Ice Cube moved the crowd. That just made me want it even harder. But yeah, I opened up for Ice Cube and Club Jazz in Houston, Texas in 94. And man, I'll never forget that night. Yeah. You opened also for UGK, Idol, and JG, some dopest artists too. So as a self-tank. Yeah, 
Yeah, me, A Ball, yeah, sure. MJG. Me and me, A Ball me and A Ball and MJG went on tour together. So we was together like maybe for one whole summer straight. Me and A Ball and MJG and UGK and um other artists around the Houston area, we all toured together all over the Southwest and the Midwest. And man, man, it was something to see. Uh, A Ball and MJG and UGK, and not only that, I ended up opening up for other people like Snoop Dogg. I remember Snoop Dogg walking through the club with me, holding my shirt so he don't get lost. You know what I mean? These are the people I used to rub elbows with. MC8, Compton's Most Wanted, Spice One. Anybody going from the West through the South, I opened up their shows for them. Yeah. You was one of the first rappers of the Seven War, so you had it for life. And uh, <clears throat> you was on the, on the label, Hardhead Records. Can you tell us about the history of uh, Hardhead Records and uh, what's happened, sadly, to Roderick Smith, your mentor and uh, your CEO, director, started in 93? Okay. Yeah, when I left, when I left Rap-A-Lot Records, because um, I didn't agree with the terms of the contract, I came home and um, back to New Orleans and I met this dude, Rooster Red, and my DJ, Ren Ten, and we, we started making songs together. And everybody knew I was the best rapper, so they brought me to this dude, Roderick Smith. Roderick Smith was trying to open his own record label. He had Black Menace at that time. He was trying to put them out. And um, I guess Rooster Red went to Roderick, it was friends and, and told him, he said, we got a rapper better than Black Menace and all this. And they made a bet that I was better. And then Roger listened to me rap and Roger was sold. Roger was like, yeah, I would have lost that bet. So that was Roger Smith, who Rooster Red introduced me to. And he and Roger Smith, once he heard my music, he was done. He, he just brought me in a studio a week later and we started recording and it only took me like a week, maybe two weeks to record my first album, Black Robin Hood. And Roger Smith he 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 took it to another level. He loved my music so much. He was so inspired by about it that by it that immediately he just went out he just his whole life, he dropped Black Menace, <laughs> and and we just started Hard Head Records from there. And um, we dropped Black Robin Hood on Christmas Eve of 93. And, man, when I tell you, the whole city went crazy. All of a sudden, Hard Head, I made that name Seven Wall Hard Head with my friends in the neighborhood, you know, and um, but he took it to a whole nother level from just seven wall hall here. Next thing you know, it's four wall hall here, fifth wall hall here, sixth wall. You know, we got like 17 wards in my city. And Roger made it spread like a plague. 
And then next thing you know, Hardhead Records was all, everybody was screaming, Hardhead, Hardhead, Hardhead. We picked up Crazy uh, in the Fort Wall, and we made Murder, Inc. And, you know, it, it, it was just spreading like a disease at that time. We was taking over New Orleans by storm, man. It was crazy at that time. Yeah, sure. You came by the name ZL at first, before maybe MCL, uh, on his album especially. It was ZL. <laughs> I knew. Right. I, I knew. I knew because Roderick, that was another thing, Roderick, he didn't like the MCL part because it sounded too much like MC Ren or MC Ham or it sounded right. too, too, too too common to him. So he tried to change my name to the L. You know what I mean? But um yeah. I was all I was always MCL to my people but um he wanted me to, to be the L and I was like, man <laughs> I went with it for a while but I got I got a few different names. They got the L, they got MCL, they got Seven Wall Hardhead, Black Robin Hood. You can name me by all of those names. Yeah, yeah. You have you have Elon uh, a pen pixel graphics cover unreleased with the, the name ZL, black of the hood with a with a bullet of 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 uh, with, you get Sean Brosh in a bullet. <laughs> it's crazy stuff. Right, right. That's the one where he changes to the and you know what I mean on the bullet, black Robin Hood. Yeah. You know, but yeah. It, yeah. It, like I said, my brother's my brother was a DJ in the beginning. He was, he called himself MCLV. But he should have been DJL. And I took his name and made it MCL. Yeah, yeah. Also, even the, the logo of uh, Hardhead Records, it was a dead soldier with a flag. Uh, it, it's a brother Rick has an idea. <laughs> Would you say I heard you say that it was a skeleton with the um soldier yes. outfit on. Would you say after that? Yeah, who got the idea of the of this soldier skeleton? That would be Roderick. <laughs> that would be Roderick. Ah. Roderick Smith, man. When I tell you Roger Smith was one of the realest people ever born in New Orleans. The leaving J. Prince and leaving Baby with cash money and all those people trying to sign me. When I met Roderick Smith, I knew that he had the 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 the, the muscle and the and the money and the and the just whole. He had this whole thing about him that that made you know, yeah, yeah, this the dude I'm assigned with. Like you could just tell. That Roger Smith was the man, and, and he came up with the idea of the skeleton with the camouflage suit on. Man, but but and, and he was the first one who brought me the pen and pixel, and his I I I loved his vision the way he done it because he was really telling you dead or alive we hard here. You know what I mean? Yeah, because we, we are alive, but we dead. <laughs> Playing for Kips, I think it was on the, on the most hardcore cover of Pen and Pixel. It's crazy <laughs> this time, yeah. especially. 
Which album? Oh, playing for kids. Oh, playing for yeah. keeps. Yeah, we're, um, yeah. We're, we're crazy. That's when, that's when um, I had an already dropped Black Robin Hood, and we was looking for more artists to make our record label. You know, we was we was trying to we was trying to mimic like rootless records. We wanted to be like a rootless records, like either E had and W A D O C above the law. You know what I mean, Michelle? We was trying to do that. So Roger was thinking the same way, so he came with Crazy and Alamo and Legend and and made that group and and he figured, you know, I already had a name, put me on there too, and it's gonna blow up. And so, um, yeah, Plan for Keeps was one of our premier songs on that. I remember the day we was in the studio doing that. And um, that was Roderick's vision. He wanted to make Hardhead, not just Seven Wall Hardhead. He wanted to make everybody Hardhead. If Roderick was alive, Roderick would have had California Hardhead, <laughs> New York Hardhead. He was trying to spread like a disease, you know. And we made plan for keeps. Man, everybody loved that. That bloody, bloody, bloody murder. Incorporated, playing for keeps. And the, the name of the, the name of the song speaks for itself. We was playing for keeps. You know? Yeah, you got each one eight on tattoo. You got Alamo, who was a former very hard gangster, like gangster both Memphis. Uh, it's like the. It was like the. It's an old inversion of Gangster Boo. Well, <laughs> it's crazy mm-hmm. shit. And uh, mm-hmm. you got also at this time uh, Legend Man and uh, Crazy, of course, of, of became after of, of five of her boys. So it was a crazy combo. <laughs> yeah, because uh, we all from different of parts of the H- city. It was a crazy yes, combo because we all from different parts of the city. Like, Legend Man, we're from the eastern side of New Orleans. Me and Chris are from downtown, but Seven Ward and the Four Ward is a little distance away. We was all from different projects in different areas in the city, and, and Roger's dream was to bring all that together, and that's what we did. We we called it Plan for Keeps, and Murder Incorporated was like, that's the first time I'd done a group album like that, you know, and man, if Roger was still alive, Roger, like I said, he would have took over the country on a on a mission he was on. Yeah, and you got also crazy producers. You got on the down south uh, track. You got DJ Precise, who well known for for his production for Mystical Man of Mystical, the first album. So it was dope to have him also. It was uh, he worked for Big Boy at this time, also. Um, it was more than just, it was more more than just precise. Um, oh, yeah, Roger, you got Jasmine, Roger, Ed West, rest in peace, also. Yes, mm-hmm. yeah. yeah, go ahead. <laughs> yeah, Ed West, Ed West was a man in our record label, but Roger 
actually was about to Roger was about to take mystical. We was about to have mystical, the ghetto twins, all of them was coming to us. Tim Smooth, all those guys from New Orleans. They was all about to be hard head records and then Roger tragically died right before it happened. Yeah, got Jasmine also of of Swamp Click. By the day, yeah. was Kendall Jasmine, yeah. talented for yeah, well, too. <laughs> Kendall, yeah. that's actually my cousin. <laughs> that's my cousin. Oh, okay, we, right. <laughs> we, we we family and um, ja- Kendall Jasmine. Kendall was the first mm-hmm. one I ever performed on stage with. He was the DJ and I was the rapper. Kendall been with me from day one. We the same exact age, we cousins, and we both was deep into the music business, like like real deep. But Swamp Click and all them, they they all branched off from Hoy. It all started from from me, really, and it all trickled down, you know. Murder Incorporated, all that all that started from really. I hate to I mean make it sound like I'm being egotistical, but really it all started with me, you know what I mean? And yeah. we just started making new groups. But Jazz Man was there from the beginning. So, I love that together. It was more crazy than Alamo, just together. And uh, after you came back with the True to Life in 96, and uh, it was also on a uh, on a hearted, but it was also distributed by SMG, Solar Music Group. So you, you came up on a next level, how it was to yeah. to do it on, on SMG. Well, that's what happened. Like, um, when we recorded Murder, Inc. with Crazy. We recorded that, <laughs> me, Crazy, and Legend in 95. But at the same time we was recording that, I was recording True to Life too. When Roderick died yeah. right after mm-hmm. I finished recording the whole CD, and we put it out still, but it didn't have the the push behind it with Roderick being gone because Roderick was the the man that was making all the wheels turn. So we dropped True to Life at the right after Murder Incorporated, and um, it didn't do too well, but. You know what I mean? I, I remember going to Pen and Pixel office. You know what I mean? Because they was they was pushing us a lot too, Pen and Pixel. And um, yes, sir. I I just remember them telling me all the people who walked away from promoting and advertising my album because Roderick was gone, and it hurt yeah. bad, but. That was the second CD I'd done after Black Robin Hood. And one of the best CDs I ever made. And it was sad because if Roderick was alive, that CD would have blew up. You know what I mean? So it was yeah, rough. for sure. Because <laughs> Roderick... What's up to him, in fact? What'd you say? What's up to Roderick, he was in a in a bad move or something. Well, you know, Roger, Roger goes, Roger, Roger goes, the king of New Orleans. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. And 
Whenever you hold a crown on your head, you're going to have an enemy. You know what I mean? And a lot of people, a lot of people was trying to take his his position, you know, and he fell victim to it. But Roderick, man, was a stand-up dude. You know what I mean? We lost him. All head records died. Uh, All head records died with him. You know what I mean? And that's when we started Ballet Boy Records. Yeah, of, of course, yeah. You're going to keep Pepe in 97, uh, and after you you go with uh, It Shall Be in 2001 with uh, Buddy Boy, uh, can you tell us about these two albums, too? It was bio for you, too. Well, what happened after Roger died, I still had all this music, and I was still, you know, I had to still keep the show going, and... Valley Boys was a big, big, big crew in New Orleans. And I'm talking about everybody knew about the Valley Boys. And they was from the Seven Wall down. Well, not all from the Seven Wall. They were from downtown New Orleans. A lot of them from the Fifth Wall, Seven Wall, Ninth Wall. You know, Valley Boy was downtown. And um, they was with me. They was with me through the whole ordeal with Roderick. So when Roderick died, we we just decided to um, move on with our music and Valley Boys, Boosie, my boy Boosie, Shab T, Muscles, Midnight. We all started and Kirk. We all started our new record label. You know what I mean? Without Roderick, and that's when I made Keep Stepping. On the Ballet Boy record, 1997 war. But after that, I had issues with the law. I went to jail for two and a half years after dropping Keep oh, yeah, Stepping. Yeah. Yeah. And then I came home and we done True to Life. Me, It Shall Be, I'm sorry. Then we made It Shall Be. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, Keep Stepping, you got a very introspective track like a uh, gonna see my father and uh on each show you got dear god or life and death so you're really into lyrics into lyricism can i tell us about this this ones those lyrics was a reflection of everything i've been through in my life like my family breaking up and the hood adopted yeah, me. Yeah. Yep. It it all coincided with the fact that that I was a kid from the ghetto who you know what I mean? My life was all in turmoil and I decided to use my music as a way an outlet to get away from the pain and the suffering. And a lot of other people started understanding that too and they they followed me and before you know it we was a movement you know all his so yeah um it was a rough time at that time but we we took we took what we could we took it to another level we we decided we're not gonna be victims we're gonna be hard heads you know 
And uh, with uh, Crazy, did, did you think uh, you would do something in the future, maybe the Resurrection album, what's happened to? <laughs> yeah, that's what we're working on right now. We're in the studio. Um, it's kind of hard because... It's kind of hard because we're all over the country, so we got to catch each other when we can. Like, so when I get down there by crazy, the first thing we're doing, in the studio, everywhere I go, we're going in the studio and get it while I can, and then we go back because ever since Hurricane Katrina, the whole, the whole, everybody is living in different places. None of us in New Orleans. All of us love New Orleans. We are from New Orleans, but none of us really live there no more. You know what I mean? Yeah. Yeah. And um, if you have a message to to say to the to the young rappers or young MCs in this game now, well, my message would be to the younger rappers now. Is to um, make your lyrical content where you can feel it. Like, you know what I mean? It's not all about, about shining and, and <clears throat> you know what I mean? I, music music is a universal language. That means you're supposed to relate to everybody. It's not just talking about how you live. My message to these young rappers would, would be, to relate to everybody and keep it real, like like we want to we want to hear more than just about your car and your clothes and the girl that you slept with. You know what I mean? The bad bitch. We want to hear about reality, life, what it's like to you know. Like I was me personally, I was inspired by people like Rock Kim and Tupac. Ice Cube, Starface, people who talked about real life. We wasn't just talking about our car or our clothes or a woman. We was talking about what actually happened in the streets. Like music, <clears throat> this rap stuff to us was, to, in my era, was more of reality. You know what I mean? Talking about life. And these young rappers, they don't, they don't really talk about that that much. They talk about partying and smoking and doing drugs and, and you know what I mean, sex and this bad bitch. I mean, you got to talk about real life. That's what my idea. I mean, that's what I would say to the young rappers. Is to, I mean, keep it real, man. I mean, all the lying and fabricating. I mean, you know, it's fun, but. Tupac used to hit you in the heart, you know what I mean? Because he's talking about real life, you know what I mean? And I just want yeah. these young rappers to get back to real life. Yeah, it's substance. <laughs> you always come into this substance, it's real content. It's like real murder dog music. <laughs> yeah. Uh-huh. So it was a... Mm-hmm. It was a real honor to have you on the show. And uh, I give you the floor for uh, your social media or if, if a person wants to contact you, can I tell us uh, about your social media or the way to contact you? Yeah, 
Man, you can always get in touch with MCL, man. That's one thing. I don't hide from the public, man. I'm on Facebook. You know what I mean? Look me up. You know what I mean? I I I I love I love Murder Master music show. I I was sitting around earlier going through different episodes of other people that y'all put on. And I, what I love about this show is is that y'all going to other artists that that y'all really want to dig down into the roots of how it started and that's what we need, you know yeah. what I mean? Me me being a rapper who you know, been doing this since I was 12 years old, like I said. I mean, it feels good to know that somebody, you know, we we have yeah. somebody lending us an ear, you know, giving us an ear to listen to us, you know what I mean, as rappers. Yeah. I love yeah. y'all for that. We are like the voice of the voiceless, <laughs> you know. <laughs> so we go with a uh, with a song Black Robin Hood classics uh, in '93, and uh, we sell it to from a other music show, MCL. Yeah, I'm glad y'all liked it, man. I, I I never dreamed when I was writing those songs, Black Robin Hood and Broken Family and all that. When I wrote those songs, I was like 16 years old. I never dreamed one day I'd be, you know, people would be really interested that yeah. much. I was just trying to be a rapper, you know. Yeah. Stop. What's up, bitch? Black Robin Hood's in the motherfucking house. Hard head records is in the motherfucking house. So we gonna be turning it out on a jacket too. Yeah, bitch, I'm the yell, love jacking. The more funds I make, the more guns I'm packing. Let's say I had a nine to your dome, cause I wanted your outfit. Bitch, do you think you're gonna make it home? I'll let you live long enough to take all your clothes off. And then I pull a hammer back and take all your nose off. Nah, bitch, they ain't gonna be a fucking get back. I'm Black Robin Hood, Robin's what I'm best at. I'm in the project late at night with you. Step up to me, walk the dope so I can deck the screen. Pull out the nine and pop some lead in his head. Send his whole family to church while I go shop for new threads. Next night I'm rolling deep again, it's Jack and time. On my front seat, I wait to black ski mask in the nine. I find a victim, jump out wishing that he'll try to run, but that he'll try to pull a gun up five and and smoke his tongue. Let up three more hollow tips and got up in the business bank. That was just a warm up, just a hundred dollar gang. Drive back to New Orleans, he sick up the fucking circle K. I got him. 
regular by night, just give me weed and some make ball, and I'll be breaking in more windows than baseballs, I ain't gonna wait, y'all, I'm just gonna take y'all shit and head back to the project, to sell it all quick for way less than what you paid, I'm giving up, TVs with DCRs for just 50 bucks, see when I say Robin Hood, I ain't talking business shit, just a gangster version about a nigga stealing with a nine and a Mac 10, bitch, that's what I'm packing, that honky used the bow and arrow, this nigga's blasting, one motherfucker wakes up screaming, my shit is gone, one motherfucker won't wake up cause I split his zone, my manifested men and definitions of stealing, number one is jacking, number two is killing, three is with the niggas in my ward, no best, them that's a jelly boy, specializing auto death, and number four is when the L gets violent home, it's when I steal a rapper's title on the microphone, and number five is when I cold go left, and steal your bitch, steal a pussy, steal a ass, steal a whole breath, this is real slick, sticky fingers, pickpockets good, when walking through the seven ward, bitch, beware the black Robin Hood, beware the black Robin Hood, bitch, yeah, MCL's in the motherfucking house, let you know, if things start going too bad, I'ma start going for bad. No way in hell I ain't gonna be staying down for another nigga. Fuck up. I catch a nigga with this. I'll take this to get mine. I mean, I was brought here by myself. And I'm leaving by my motherfucking self. So I'm going to fucking self. When you drive a vehicle so reliable it's backed by a 10-year, 100,000-mile limited warranty, you stop thinking about what you can't do and start doing what you never thought possible. Visit your local Kia dealer today to see what you're capable of in a vehicle that inspires confidence around every corner. Kia. Movement that inspires. Call 800-333-4KIA for details. Always drive safely. Limited inventory available. Warranties include 10-year, 100,000-mile powertrain and 5-year, 60,000-mile basic. Warranties are limited. See retailer for details.